Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 323. Today is February 28th, 2021. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I want to give you an update as to why I not only remain optimistic about the overall condition of the stock market and its direction forward, but in fact, I'm even more optimistic than the last time we talked. And I also want to give you an update on some purchases I made as the week closed out on Friday. I took the opportunity to buy the dip that's been going on. And yeah, really in this episode, let's just get into it. I want to talk about what's happening with this market correction. What we're seeing is a tech unwind and a rotation out of the stay-at-home stocks. Now, the stay-at-home stocks and the tech unwind that's occurring is because of all the excess valuations where people last year, because of the COVID hysteria, they poured into a certain number of stocks, you know, things that were favorable to pharmaceutical companies that were developing vaccines, uh, to technology companies that were uninhibited by the shutdowns that occurred. So, you know, the Microsofts, the Apples. And then, of course, the really favorable stay-at-home stocks, the things like the Zooms, which are, you know, video conferencing or DocuSign, or even things like exercise bikes. Now, a lot of these companies are one-trick ponies. They only have one or two products. They have a very narrow reach. And while they were highlighted and spotlighted and very effective during the shutdowns, their value is diminishing as we get out of the COVID hysteria. And so naturally, you would see this unwind or this rotation out of those type stocks into the reopening trade. Now, the good tech stocks are not going away. Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Google, etc. And also companies like Amazon and Walmart that also have been you know, very favored during the stay-at-home trade. Well, these are big, good, solid corporations that are not going away, but their valuations are being reassessed because these prices got overbid during the year of 2020. And so it's natural that they're going to stagnate and maybe even pull back. And that's what we've seen over the last four months or so. And then especially over the last week, we've seen that downtrend even more accelerate. Although, hey, let's step back and look at it. The NASDAQ, despite all the media drama you're hearing, the NASDAQ is only down about 4% if you look at Friday's closing price to the previous Friday. So it's down more than that from its overall top. But if you even look at the uh, peak to trough performance here over the last couple weeks or so from the high of the S&P 500, I still don't think we're even in correction territory yet. We're maybe only down 7%. Now, the NASDAQ did drop below support at its 50-day moving average. That's a big deal. And even more importantly than that, it even breached and fell slightly below its 10-week moving average. So I'm not saying here that we're not headed for a further correction or a deeper pullback. But even if that happens, I would just look at this as more buying opportunities and not necessarily in the tech sector, which is pulling back the most. Where most of my positions are and where I'm trying to be favored is in the broader market, in the S&P 500 overall, in you know what's being considered the value stocks, and then even more specifically in some of these mid and small cap, and in a couple cases, even micro cap trades. And one of the reasons I remain optimistic is if you look at the price volume action, where yes, you are seeing a more advanced sell-off and higher volume in the NASDAQ, in the high-tech stocks, and in the stay-at-home favored trades, you're actually seeing some relative stability in the broader market. 
the S&P 500 on Friday closed exactly on its 50-day moving average, and even more importantly, its 10-week moving average. Now, that doesn't happen randomly, and this is why I give so much credence to looking at moving averages. The other thing to consider when looking at this price volume action is that this past week, even though the S&P 500 pulled back, oh, it was slightly less than the NASDAQ, I think it pulled back maybe 2.5% or so from the previous week, the overall volume of the trades, although above average, was significantly below the pullback that we saw at the end of January. That was the whole GameStop, Reddit, Robinhood fiasco. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So what we saw this week during all this panic is not only did we close at support at the 50-day moving average and at the 10-week moving average for the S&P 500, but the volume was lower and the overall decline was also lower than what we saw at the end of January, the last time we had the crisis du jour. So to me, that is showing that the underlying market dynamics is showing resilience and stability. And again, it doesn't mean that we couldn't pull back farther, but I would see that as a buying opportunity because long-term, I think this market is moving higher, and in fact, it could be moving a lot higher. Now let's step back here also, and I do want to address a couple of things. This podcast has obviously been silent over the past eight weeks or so. As we got into the new year, Every time I went to produce new content, I looked at what I had already said and I compared it to what I consider the nonsense, never-ending negativity that you're getting bombarded with in the media, and this is both the mainstream media and the alternative media, and when I looked at what's being bantered about by the regular media narrative and the message that I want to convey, I really thought that the best way for me to emphasize my overall, what I guess would consider a contrarian opinion, because I I remain very optimistic, the best way for me to convey that was rather than come on with a lot of episodes of just preaching to the choir, I wanted to let my silence speak louder than my words. So if you go back and you listen to these previous episodes where I ended the year and talked about my positions in in the fourth quarter of 2021, I was optimistic there. I was buying into what I felt was the rotation into these reopening stocks. And rather than continue to talk about those positions, I just let them speak for themselves. And if you're someone that invested either in my trades or in those similar positions, the smaller caps, the companies that were disfavored by the shutdowns, companies in the hospitality sector, the energy sector, the financial sector, some services, material manufacturing, all those areas. If you look at them in aggregate, they have outpaced my original expectations and a lot sooner than I thought they'd get there. Go look at whatever index or sector-specific area you want to look at in these value areas and in these companies that are going to be favored by the reopening of the economy, and you're seeing almost without fail, in aggregate, these sectors are up by about 50% or more since mid-October, early November. And so at the end of January, or right now as we close out the month of February, as we've seen a pullback in the S&P 500 of 3 or 4% from its all-time record highs, I'm not much concerned about that if I have a substantial gain built into my existing holdings. Because I do not, and I want to reiterate here, I do not think that we are going to see this market drop 25, 30, 50% from where we are right now. Yeah, we can get 
a bigger correction. We can see the market go down another 5, 10, or, or maybe even 15% from where we are right now. I, I think that's highly unlikely that would drop that low, but it could happen. But on the other hand, I think this is going to be fairly mild, a fairly garden variety correction where we see, you know, maybe 10% overall. And then the market goes on to bounce up off of its 50 or its 100-day moving average, and it puts in another record high. And again, the reason I've remained silent as far as this podcast goes over the last eight weeks or so is because no matter what crisis du jour has come out, almost without fail, since the beginning of the year, virtually every week, and if not at least every other week, the S&P has put in a new record high. And so I've just been sitting back, watching all the negativity, and watching my net worth go up. Now, just a minute ago, I mentioned about uh, GameStop, Robinhood, Reddit, and how that pulled the market down, uh, or that was at least part of the narrative of why the market was coming down at the end of January. Well, you know, a lot of that, too, had more to do with the resurgence of the different variants of the COVID virus. So, you know, we had the South African variant and the UK variant, and more than anything, I think that's what brought the market down that last week in January. But as far as the whole Reddit, GameStop, Robinhood, I'm not even going to comment on it. I, I had a lot of people that emailed me and were anxious to hear what I was going to say about it. And I have nothing to say. I think more than anything, it was a nothing burger. The narratives that were discussed, whether it was the David and Goliath stories or, you know, the little guys against the big billionaires or the fact that this reckless trading was going to drive down the market or create some type of a liquidity crisis. It was all absolute fabricated hysteria. I don't think it had any basis in reality. And just as far as the story of either market manipulation or the story of needing more government interaction or the inefficiency of markets or how the market was being gamed by you know, people using these social media platforms. And bottom line is none of it's new. Markets are pumped and dumped and manipulated going back to the first time there ever was a market. Go back and listen to a previous episode I did, a, I don't know, a couple years back about Jesse Livermore. He was a famous stock trader. Back in those days, they called him stock operators. There's a book written about him, a sort of a historical fiction book entitled Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. Read up on that. Study history. What Jesse did 100 years ago is no different than what's going on today. And while today we have Reddit and we have different forms of social media, back in his day, you know what the new technology was that was being exploited to front run and pump and dump and manipulate stock pricing? It was the telegraph. So listen, there's nothing new under the sun. Human nature never changes. Markets are driven more by fear and greed than anything else. And so that's all I'll say on that topic. And then as far as the other drama that really permeated the first, I don't know, four or five weeks of the year was all the hysteria around the election and the election uncertainty and how the transition of power would go and what would happen with executive orders and would there be further violence. And listen, again, I never commented on any of that because I didn't think it was worth talking about. Just quickly to make this point, go back to January 6th, the day of the Capitol got stormed by the protesters. What happened? Yeah, there was a lot of volatility that day. During interday trade, the S&P 500 dropped down considerably from the day before. But you know what? It actually ended up that day. 
and the market not only did better on January 6th, but on January 7th, the day after all the violence, the market went on to put in an all-time record high. And that wasn't a fluke, because you know what? Two days later, closing out the week, on Friday, January 8th, the market put in another record high. The whole issues about transition of power were all overblown by the media as it relates to the economy. The forces that are driving the economy have nothing to do with counting ballots. And to further make this point, for all the people that were worried about Joe Biden and what he would do with his executive orders and all of his policy changes during his first 100 days in office, and specifically the things he would do to, say, for example, the energy sector, you know, his decisions and executive orders on the Keystone Pipeline, on drilling and fracking on federal lands, and on his green initiatives, a lot of people thought prior to Biden's inauguration and prior to him issuing his litany of executive orders, I heard from countless people that were especially worried about the energy sector and particularly in stocks that I own that are heavily swayed towards energy. I own Devon. I own ExxonMobil, Chevron. I own the energy ETF. These positions don't represent a dominant theme within my portfolio, but they are positions I hold, and many, many people were concerned that the bottom was going to fall out on those stocks. Well, what's happened? Go back to October. Look at prior to the election. Oil was selling at $35 a barrel. Today, it's at 61 or 62 Now, I know a lot of the recent activity over the last two weeks has been because of the Texas freeze, but that's kind of case in point. One of the reasons I invest in energy sector and specifically things like ExxonMobil and Chevron, these big major players, is these are companies that are well entrenched and they're not going away overnight. Oh, they may have to transition and phase out of fossil fuels in the coming years or decades, but it's not happening tomorrow. These are large companies with reliable cash flow. They pay solid dividends. And whenever there's a crisis, and even if that crisis is just cold weather in Texas, or whether it's trouble in the Middle East, like the recent missile strike that we saw in Syria. And so almost like clockwork, you can hold these oil stocks, preferably buying them when the price is low, collecting that dividend, And you can be relatively assured that once every 6 to 12 months at least, something will happen where prices flare up. And if you want to get out of your positions, you have the opportunity to sell. Or you can do what I'm doing, which is just to continue to hold, to collect that dividend, and know that in the future, those assets will continue to appreciate. And even before we had this Texas freeze, in spite of all the political uncertainty of who would be president, what the new administration would do, and what Joe Biden would do with his executive orders. And I guess I I left out the rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. You know, that was a big deal. A lot of people were worried about, well, how did all that affect oil prices? Prior to the problems we're having in Texas right now, oil was still consistently at about $58 a barrel. That's up significantly, significantly from what we saw prior to the elections And it has virtually nothing to do with Joe Biden or his executive orders or what he does or doesn't do. It has to do with the underlying economic conditions. How about I digress? Okay, so as to my optimism, at the end of last year, as I made my COVID-90 portfolio acquisitions and as I looked at what I thought was going to happen over the next three months or over the first quarter of 2021, I said I was very optimistic 
I didn't know what was going to happen short term, but I thought at least over that, you know, those three months or the first quarter of the year, the stock market would do well. And specifically, even though we may see stagnation or some ups and downs with the major indexes like the Dow or the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, I was very confident that the COVID-90 portfolio and what was being deemed value positions and these reopening trade type stocks, that they would be very favored. Well, my optimism for that type of a trade is not only intact, but I'm here to tell you that I think that these trades can continue to outperform well into the second half of 2021. And it's even possible, in fact, it's highly probable that we could be in the early innings of a bull market cycle that's something that we haven't seen since 1996. Now, I'm not going to go into all that in this episode. This is actually something that we're going to develop and talk about through the course of this year and see how it plays out. But I'll give you some highlights of not only why over the short term, I think this market is headed higher, but we could be seeing two, three, four or more years of huge market gains like we saw in the mid-90s. And I want to step back because I know right away some of you pessimists out there that are about as old as me, you're going to say, hey, John, those market increases that you're talking about, those led off into a blow-off market top. It gave us the dot-com bubble where the market came down 50% and it set us up for the financial crisis that happened another eight years after that. Hey, I'm not denying any of that. In fact, I think that's where we're headed. I do think we're headed exactly into that direction where we are going to see this market blow into a huge speculative bubble to where it will be reminiscent of the dot-com bubble of 2000 or the financial crisis of 2008, and we will see a pullback in the market of, you know, 40, 50, 60%. I think we're setting ourselves up for that. But to get there, we have to go well into the future and have these valuations expand exponentially from where they are right now. And if you want to be pessimistic and you want to be negative and you want to be sitting things out right now because you're worried about the bubble to burst, well, you're going to be just like Alan Greenspan when he coined the phrase irrational exuberance. That's what he called the speculative bubble that we were in with the dot-com bubble, and he was absolutely 100% right. The only problem with that is I remember it. Alan made that prediction in December of, I think it was 1996. It was another over three years before that bubble popped. And most of the major gains that, would, that were made in that market occurred during those three years. So if you took Alan's advice and you sat out because you were afraid of the speculative bubble that was ultimately going to pop, well, you would have denied yourself all those profits. And given today's current situation and where we're headed, I think we are going to see a blow-off top into the future But along the way, it's going to be an incredible opportunity to make profits, just like the COVID hysteria and the worst pandemic in 100 years was an excellent opportunity to make money if you were not fearful, if you didn't panic, and if you appropriately had mitigated risk. 2020 was a golden opportunity, and I think the coming years can be by far two, three, four times as good. How about I said enough? Listen, let's focus on a couple things here. Number one, the underlying data that I look at is all financially and fundamentally sound. We're in a growing, recovering economy across the board, across all sectors, and most importantly, corporate profits are going up this year and going up next year for sure. 
And so between now and 2022, we are looking at at least double-digit growth, something in the 10 to 12% this year as well as next year. And I'm not using that number based on the lows of 2020. I'm taking that 10 or 12% increase that we're going to see in 2021 corporate profits and basing that on pre-COVID levels. So taking corporate profits from December 2019 and looking ahead to December 2021, it's almost in the bag that we're going to have at least 10% or better improvement in corporate profits and the same thing for the following year. And it's simple to see why. Many of the changes that occurred during COVID are making the companies that have survived more efficient and their costs are lower. They're employing technology to make them more effective and more efficient, so that saves them on overhead and especially on labor. We're seeing the price of real estate come down, so while that can affect some of the big corporations' overall balance sheets, their day-to-day costs for their office space and their other operations are going down, and even more importantly, their overall labor costs are going down. Listen, we are still short something like 10 million jobs in America. Those are not coming back overnight. That puts a lid on how high labor prices can go. And so companies have not only got rid of positions that they don't need, but they don't have to pay the people they have more and those people that they're hiring, they can come in at a lower wage. The companies that have survived not only come out stronger and more efficient with lower operating costs, but many of their competitors have gone out of business. So the moat around their business model gets deeper and broader. Those are the companies that are going to benefit, and those are the companies that I look at to put my money into. The other thing that the media has been really spinning lately is the big fear of an increase in inflation. And really, while long-term, I think because of technology and demographics, like I've been saying for years, I think we're, we continue to be in a deflationary environment. However, any type of short-term inflation that may occur is transitory, and a lot of it due to the problems we saw and the disruptions we've seen during covid But think about it in these terms, and specifically as it relates to strong corporations with very good balance sheets. Inflation is good for those companies because they have pricing power. Whenever their costs go up, they just pass that on to the consumers. So inflation is really a non-issue as I see it. And then finally, the real bugaboo that's been driving the market down, particularly over the last couple weeks, is the big fear of rising interest rates. I put up a chart today at investablewealth.com where I talked about these new positions that I purchased. And the chart shows the 10-year treasury going back for the last five years or so. And I didn't say really anything about that chart. I just wanted it to speak its own truth. And when you look at that chart and you see where the 10-year treasury is today, which is just below 1.5%, and you listen to the hysteria that the media has about rising interest rates, It doesn't take a lot of common sense to look at that chart and see that, yes, although interest rates have tripled over the last eight months or so, it's readily apparent that we are still significantly below the historical averages. Today's interest rates, of which people are so fearful of, are probably 30 or more basis points lower than they were when Donald Trump got elected in November of 2016. And after his election, interest rates spiked, as did the performance of the S&P 500 for the next 12 months. So rising interest rates do not 100% guarantee that stock prices are going to come down. 
In fact, oftentimes it's quite the opposite. The world is a very complex place. And just to say that the direction or the magnitude of interest rate changes is going to 100% correlate either up or down with the S&P 500 is naive. It doesn't matter today that interest rates are three times what they were in August of 2020 because in August of 2020, the interest rates, the 10-year treasury, was at its lowest point in all human recorded history. It was 0.5%. That's 50 basis points. And so, yes, it's tripled since August. But that only brings us up to 1.5%, which historically, and particularly historically over the last 50 years, is incredibly, incredibly cheap. And so if we were in an interest rate environment where, say, rates were at 3% and they tripled to 9%, yes, that could have a drastic drag on the economy, particularly on capital expenditures and the housing market. Or if you go back to the 1970s, early 1980s, when interest rates went from, say, 5% up to 18%, yeah, that was a big deal. That tripling or more of interest rates really squelched economic development. But that's because interest rates were extreme up into the double digits. We're not even at 2%. The rising interest rate environment that we're in right now is not heading us into a recession or a cooling off of the economy. It's evident that the economy is improving. And for all the pundits that can't see that, you wonder where they got their economic degrees at. Or perhaps maybe they do see it and they just have another agenda. I'll let you draw that conclusion on your own. And with that, I'm going to conclude this episode. I actually went a lot longer than I intended to. Well, hey, as always, thanks for listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.